Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about overcoming some of the challenges we face in life. And oftentimes it happens this way. We're all living it right now. None of us expected when 2020 began that we'd be quite where we are with the coronavirus and all those things. But I know you and I have also had past experiences where things didn't turn out quite as we expected. A challenge was presented where uh, maybe we expected something else. So I wonder if you might share one of those stories. Sure. I have come to believe that resilience is toughest when life does not meet your expectation. Yeah. It's not that... Um, we can't climb out of a hole or, you know, the human beings, I think, are naturally wired to be resilient. I, look at little kids. They yeah. fall down as toddlers and get back up and fall down and get back up. Only when they start learning to look at adults and we're panicked do they get panicked. But um, you and I both have had experience. And we were talking about this earlier, <laughs> listeners. I remember specifically an overseas trip that did not go like we thought it would go. Yeah. Or, or it, we just had expectations that were unrealistic. Yeah. So this was a developing nation, wonderful people. It was the Central African Republic. There were a small team of us from our team there, uh, some males, some females. And we got to one hotel lobby and quickly discovered they had electricity but no running water. Okay. And some of our team members said, I must wash my hair every day. <laughs> Okay, and that's that's an American thing to do. Yes. So we thought, well, gosh, this may not work then. So we went to another hotel, and they said, oh, we got one running water, just no electricity. <laughs> so we could not win for losing, and it was, and we knew this was normal for them. This it, it was just kind of how life was back in the day. This yeah. was a number of years ago. That's just how it was. How it was. Yeah. And and it was it really threw some of our team members, because it wasn't everything that America was. Yes. Now you've had your own tale to tell. You've. Uh, yeah, been I've, trips. I've been through my fair share of things, but one that came chiefly to mind in terms of unmet expectations was one time I got to spend a summer back in college uh, in, with India. I was volunteering with an organization. And, um, you know, one of the things that you'll find in other cultures, we're very timely here. Yeah. For them, time is a little bit looser. They're, yeah. they're, and one of the things I fell in love with about that culture in India was they didn't value time because they did value relationships. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about some of the most amazing people ever there. But I that was a really rough learning curve for me, much like, you know, water yes. and electricity. For, yeah. for me, one time we actually showed up to take a 7 p.m. train. Um, and so we got to the train station several minutes before 7 p.m. in order to make that train. And you're waiting, and then you're waiting some more, and then you're waiting some more. And not only is it delayed, which we'd come to expect delays at that yeah. point, but there's also no announcements. There's no clarity about you when it know. comes. It's yeah. just everybody who needs to be on that train just hangs around, you know. I'm telling you, it was an hour, and then it was two hours, and then it was three hours. Oh, my goodness. And the train did not show up until 2 a.m. in the morning. It was How many a, hours late was that? I think that's seven hours, if oh I'm doing gosh. my math correctly. It was a yeah. crazy yeah. amount of time. And I actually was asleep on the floor of the train station at that point. Somebody, Somebody shakes me awake, and we go kind of tumble on, you know, rumble onto the train. And that's exactly – but yeah. what was so funny about that is how that didn't affect – it didn't seem strange to anybody who yes. grew up in that culture. But to me, it was totally thrown off. I, what I see as a challenge, they see as a normal Thursday, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it's just so funny how that can often happen. So in our culture in America, we are people that have come to believe we are in control. Yes. And this pandemic 
has shown us you're not in control. Very much so. The whole world isn't. Yeah. But like that late train with no announcements, there's no clarity on when this thing's going to come. That's where we find ourselves. Absolutely. We don't know when this thing's going to get over, when the quarantine may be lifted in all 50 states, when the vaccine's going to show up. And so this can throw not only students but adults into a bit of anguish. Absolutely, because when you can't change your external world and you're out of control of that, the thing that's left is for you to control or take care of your internal world. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So here's a great metaphor maybe that might help us. I've been... um, I've been whitewater rafting a couple of times in my life. Yeah. Uh, when I lived in California, I, I went there. And then when I moved to Colorado, there's some great whitewater rafting there. Yeah. Um, so it's completely different than this lazy w- river rafting that we do on the Chattahoochee. That's the here. only one I've ever done. Yeah, here in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, it's <laughs> Sit kinda, there and let the water take you yeah, where you it got a little can of You got a little drink, you yeah. got a little, you know, something you're munching on, and you're just enjoying the day. Yeah. So whitewater rafting, unlike the lazy river rafting, is very, very different. Uh, in fact, when rafting on the rapids, I don't even go out without an, exp- without an experienced guide Yes. who knows how to handle the rushing waters, the rocks, the bends in the river. Um, I expect it to be far more of an adventure than the Lazy River. And that's just it. My expectation is this is going to be a wild ride. And nobody told us in March it was going to be a wild ride this year. We didn't know. Yeah. Um, In fact, (laughs) I not only enlist a guide on those rapids, I pack extra life jackets. I got more insulin. I'm a diabetic. I've got emergency supplies. I'm mentally ready for a wild ride. Because my expectations are different than the lazy river. Yeah. Far too many of us, I think, what went into the school year, lazy river, and yeah. it was anything but a lazy river. Anything but. And yeah. I think this has probably drastically affected today's generation, the youngest kids among yeah. us more yeah. maybe than anybody else. Yeah. Generation Z is the youngest population we're measuring. The alpha generation is coming, but yeah. they're so young, it's hard to really measure anything in ink, not yes. pencil. Yeah. But Gen Z, uh, their students are... Gosh, they're having to adjust their expectations. That yes. is the understatement of the year. Yeah. 2020 has been a year of rapids. That's the best way to put it. Um, and anybody, anybody who expected smooth sailing is in trouble. Yes. Uh, and Generation Z, I think, needs extra tools from us to ensure they're ready for the wild adventure. Uh, and those with unrealistic expectations and no tour guide are just going to be miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have said for uh, quite a while now, conflict emer- uh, conflict expands when there is a distance between your expectations and your reality. Yes. And it has expanded immensely this year. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's so, where we find And I ourselves. love your metaphor of the tour guide thing because what you said is the only way I can do really well on that white rotter rapids yeah. is yeah. two things. One, I expect something different, yeah. and I'm with somebody who's navigated yes. waters like this before. Yes, that's exactly right. So the, the, the need of the hour, just to be clear on our title, is resilience. Yes. This, we're going to talk about resilience. My guess is you listeners probably would say, I need to grow on that myself. I haven't done super well right now. <laughs> I think I, that I, regularly, I yeah. Yeah. But then also those kids that would say, I've never been through a pandemic. And you're going, neither have I. Yeah, not you know, really. Yeah, yeah, not like this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, the, it's, it's, it, resilience is our life jacket. On the, on the wild ride. It's not hyperbole to say that mental health hazards are becoming commonplace. Andrew, yeah. you know, you, we say this all the time. Leading Generation Z well requires us to teach resilience. So let me just rattle off a few of the reasons I think it's especially needful now, outside of just saying, you know, we have a, you know, COVID-19. Absolutely. Uh, one is poverty. So 
one in four kids are living at or below the poverty line, and that was before the pandemic. You and I in the United from, States. Yes. It's crazy. Yes, it is. It should not be that way here in this wonderful country that we live in that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. But um, some households just have far too few resources, and I think it's gotten worse. As you know, many school districts are getting food out to their kids who are remotely learning but don't have any food, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so poverty. Number two. Parents, can I just get honest with you? Some families are led by unhealthy moms and dads. Unprepared moms yes, and dads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know a family, this is very tragic, listeners. I know a family that just lost a dad because he was going to AA, and he suddenly couldn't go to AA during this quarantine, and he just drank and drank. It was his coping mechanism, mm. and he died. Wow. Uh, it was kidney failure, and it was just horrible. But again, he's not a bad person, but just he wasn't able to offer good leadership in the home during this period of time. And then, of course, what we're bringing up here, the, the third P here is pandemics. Now the coronavirus is doing a number on our teens. And I don't know if you've—Andrew, yeah, I know you've seen the numbers, but listeners, I don't know if you've seen it. But the CDC reported about a month ago that one in four young adults—can I give that number again? One in four young adults have contemplated suicide uh, in June of 2020 because of the pandemic. That's crazy. So, yeah, uh, again, I, I just, that's a quarter of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24. That's college age. And there were over 5,000 people that took that survey. So these are numbers that are very real. And I, I guess I say that if for no other reason, listeners, we've got to lead with empathy first, and we've got to understand this turmoil may be deeper than we think. I know they just posted that goofy TikTok video, but inside it may be a coping mechanism yeah. for what they're really feeling. Yeah, so if there's a college professor out there with a class of kids in this age range, not only is it likely you have one kid in yeah. your class who's thought about this, it's actually, the, the statistics show, it's multiple yeah. students That's right. um, yeah. that, that we need to be on the lookout for. Crazy. So, and because Generation Z, Andrew, is future-focused, they're, they're much more than the millennials. They were look, looking at the future and planning and, 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 and saving money for it. Um, they've begun to feel helpless and hopeless a little bit. Yeah. Not all, but, but many, many, a growing mm -hmm. number. Uh, many feel the coronavirus is stealing their futures. And yet, while resilience is a core skill set, Generation Z are, are going to need their own version of it. And so I, I would love the remaining minutes we have to talk about this new version of resilience to help Gen Z redefine what it means in their lives. Absolutely. What does it look like to be the tour guide on the Whitewater Rapids that we're yeah. going through? And even though maybe you as the adult, you haven't been through a, a, a global pandemic before, right? Not anything like what we're dealing with right now. But I do think it's important that we remember that we have, as adults, we've been through difficult circumstances before. Yeah. We've had to navigate obstacles. We've had our expectations not met. And we're going to need to be leveraging every ounce of that experience and knowledge in order to lead them well. So you've got six practical yeah. ideas that you can walk us through yes. on what, what do we need to do to help them build this new kind of resilience. Yes, so I'm going to share these six ideas fairly rapidly, a little bit like the rapids I, I was talking about earlier. Well done. And if you want to go deeper, you can look at our blog page. We talk about these six on, a, on an article, but let's jump in real quick. Six let's of do them. It. Here's number one. Um, I think the first step we really need to take is to identify your student's unique temperament. Yeah. Because students are going to respond differently to, to this COVID-19 thing and to the, to the whole act of being resilient. Um, so I think an individual's resilience is uh, dictated by a combination of genetics, personal history, environment, and situational context. So it's nature and nurture. Uh, and that, by the way, that's insight from um, Harvard School of Public Health. 
Um, we need to recognize their psychological makeup and know uh, what they respond to when you, what you, what you, when you interact. Um, I remember my own two kids. Uh, we had some rough patches. as they All kids go through some rough Absolutely. patches. So Bethany and Jonathan, two very different temperaments, my son and my daughter. Um, my daughter and son both needed resilience at different times, but I needed to foster it very differently. It was the chestnut checkers thing. Yeah. So Bethany needed me to listen and empathize with her. Uh, with her situation, and then ask questions. Yes. But don't give her a talk. Uh-huh. Don't give me a lecture. Don't tell me what to do. That's right. Yeah. Jonathan was helped more through stories and statistics. Like, he actually liked the data. You uh-huh. know, even, even as an 11-year-old, you know, oh, okay. Six All out right. of 10, okay. Yeah, 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 that yeah that's right. right. Yeah, that's like the majority, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I just think we need to understand their unique makeup. That's number one. The second one, Andrew, is um, I think we're going to need to deepen our relationship with them but not to teach, but to connect. Mm. So it's one thing to say, I want to get close to you because I got to teach arithmetic or you know, history or chemistry. I think they need to know you're a caring adult and you actually want to get close to them because you like them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how that sounds, but I just think, especially now, students are going to need to know that my caretaker, my teacher, my coach, my parent, my professor, whatever, really, really, really cares for me. So the most significant determinant, when you look at the data, Andrew, the most significant determinant of resilience noted in nearly every review of study on resilience in the last 50 years is the quality of close personal relationships, especially with parents and primary caregivers. It's crazy. So do not underestimate this. I don't care if you think, well, I'm not relationship-oriented, I'm result-oriented. Well, we need to learn relationships. Yeah. Do it in your own style. But let me, um, let me quote um, Professor Keenan uh, who um, is from uh, Boston University. Uh, here's what uh, Professor Keenan says. Early attachments to parents play a crucial lifelong role in human adaptation. Um, how loved you feel as a child is a great predictor of how you'll manage all kinds of difficult situations as a teen and young adult. Um, I would say if you're not the parent, but you've got students you're teaching, be that caring. Don't pretend to be mama but love them in a way, in a, in a maternal sort of way that they know this person really, really, really loves me, and it's not because I make A's. That one's so counterintuitive maybe for a lot of people out there who are thinking, my students don't seem to have resilience to overcome yeah. the obstacles in their life. Build a relationship with them. Yeah. It may be one of the best things that you do. It doesn't seem the dots are connected, but they are connected. Mm. Yeah. In fact, one thing I like about that, any of us can do that. Absolutely. It, the, the, the deal wasn't raise your IQ by 50 points or add another talent to your repertoire. It was build a relationship. So um, maybe it's Zoom time outside of class. Yeah. Maybe it's texting with your students. Maybe it's spending a little time with masks on in person at the park. But find time to do this. This is going to help them resilience. I love it. All right, number three, remind them of the value of stress in your past. Mm. So I have found this to be true as I meet with young adults, uh, high school seniors, college students. Um, We have shared before, I believe on this podcast, the idea of PTSD and PTG. Yes. So yep. every one of us have heard of PTSD. Um, you know, this is the, the damage-triggered individual that's gone through trauma and now is um, harmed yes. by it. It's post-traumatic stress disorder. But that's only one out of five. Four out of five actually experience PTG when they're able to talk about situations from the process past. People it, yeah. overcame, and they realize, okay, this can be done. I'm not alone in this. So stress isn't all bad, says Stephen Southwick, who's, by the way, Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry, PTSD, and Resilience at Yale University Medical School. Not too bad. So stress isn't all bad. We know that. It just can't become distress. 
or mm. or when it does, it tends to start having negative effect. That's a good clarification. Uh, so each of us has to figure out what our particular challenges are and then determine how to get through them, um, all in the current moment of time. So that's that's just huge. Um, now, I I uh, was digging up Andrew and discovered that Professor Bonanno's lab. Um, at Columbia University, reviewed seven, 67 studies of people who experienced all kinds of traumatic events. So this was a pretty wide array of individuals. And I'm talking mass shootings, hurricanes, spinal cord injuries that are usually... Devastating, yeah, traumatic you can't events. Walk anymore, yeah. Things like that. He said two-thirds were found to be resilient. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So these are people that went through much more, perhaps, than you and I have gone through. Yeah. And they came out resilient. But, but, in, but in these cases... They were able to process this with someone else, talk about it, and and be reminded we've had stress in the past and we made it through. One more quick thing. Um, it might have been in another podcast. I talked about the pandemic population, yeah. the book that we just released, which, by the way, you might want to pick up, listeners. Um, I have an entire chapter where I talk to Great Depression kids who grew up during the worst economic period of time since our country's beginning. And these kids had adults in their life, and every one of them to the person said, they walked me through this, and I came out grateful, humble, work ethic, ready to go. I and I it. think it was how they were led. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to remember when you look at people who have gone through things, maybe personally and specifically even worse than yeah. some of the stuff that we're going through now with this, you find that even they can can emerge resilient on yes. the other side. If you did want to pick up that book, by the way, it's pandemicpopulation.com. You can get it there. All right, number four. The fourth um, idea is to control the controllables and trust when you can't control realities. Yeah. So this is hard. In fact, some of you are fast-forwarding right now because you go, well, forget that one. That's, yeah. that's not going to be I'll me. do the other five. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But a growing body of research, you should know, listeners, shows that resilient people place their life experiences in the right bucket. We call them buckets. Yeah. In fact, this is one of our habitudes. Mm -hmm. Three buckets. Yep. So everything that you experience fits in one of these three buckets. We've shared this in the past. Let me just remind you again. Bucket number one are all the experiences you have that are in your control. Bucket number two is all the experiences you have that are out of your control. Typically, those things are pretty clear, those yeah. two things. Yeah. yeah. But there's nothing more common than a person trying to control things that are out of their control. Yep. There's nothing more makes you more miserable than control something that's not in your control. No kidding. And then bucket number three, it's within your influence. Mm. So our responses are different for all three. On the first bucket, it's in your control. You need to be re responsible. Yeah. It's, it's up to you. Yeah, it's up to you. Number two, if it's out of your control, you need to trust the process you're yeah. in because you can't control this. And number three, you need to interact wisely. Yeah. Influence your kids, but you can't control your kids. Yep. Okay. All right, so that's huge. Now, one last thing I'll say before we go on to the, to, the, to the last couple of ideas. Resilient people have a positive, realistic outlook because they don't dwell on realities that they can't control or on negative uh, information. They just mm. don't dwell on it. Uh, it's, they're, they're not in denial. They just go, I know that's true, but I'm not going to muse on that all day long. I'm going to muse on the stuff I can do something about. I think that's, that's just huge. Yeah, I Good. love that. I love that. All right, number, number five? Number five. Choose the right tools to ensure stress doesn't become distress. Yes. I mentioned this just briefly in passing. So let me just share this with you. It's, it's a big idea. You probably get it right away. But we all choose how we can cope with tough times. And by the way, it's usually coping mechanisms or coping skills. Okay? Yes, yeah. Uh, we can utilize, let's be honest, we can utilize addictions, uh, drugs, smoking, porn, 
video games, social media, and other coping mechanisms. We find easy ways to just um, forget, comfort, right? comfort ourselves yeah. and forget it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being comforted. Sometimes your brain and your body need comfort. But if you do, um, if you tend to do things that are addictive <laughs> and now you're leaning on that to get you through the day, I need the cigarettes to get me through the day, you've crossed a line. And now I'm not saying this is horribly wrong. I'm just saying you're in an unhealthy place. Yeah. So um, the opposite of that is we can choose to build coping skills, like choosing to find a silver lining in a dark cloud or turning disadvantages into advantages by creatively looking for an opportunity in this hard time I'm in. Maybe this has just opened up a door for me uh, to do something I wouldn't have done without this, this pandemic we're in. Um, gosh, getting involved in serving others. We've heard loads of stories, Andrew, of teenagers yes, and, yes. and college students that are doing this. Uh, living by our moral compass instead of compromising, uh, believing in something or someone greater. This is all data. Uh, even, even though um, I know that all of our listeners are not people of faith, one of the big deals that help people through and get resilience is they had a faith that just enabled them to see past the current day. Yeah. And I just want to underscore, I, I'm not preaching, I'm just saying this is a factor for your students and your kids. Is there something or someone bigger than they are that they're living for? Mm-hmm. It's That's huge. good. Yeah. That's good. All right, one last one. The sixth and final idea is determine the narrative and the metaphor they want to embrace. I keep, um, in a painstaking sort of way, talking about this to everybody I can talk about this. Our students, think about this, are going to come through 2020 with some kind of narrative. Yes. We all have narratives in our head. Absolutely. Some kind of memory. We all have memories. They're either accurate or they're inaccurate but we're all retelling ourselves a story. And I'm just saying, what if we help shape this narrative? Absolutely. Not to be inaccurate, but to be accurate and hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's very, very, very possible. Um, What's the story you want to tell two years from now to the people uh, you're mentoring? Uh, What's the perspective you want you want to have, and your kids, and your grandkids, when they look back on this? You want them to say, man, Grandpa just got stronger during 2020. Or is it, no, Grandpa just shriveled up and, you know, he never recovered from it. He's, he's now bitter and angry. Yeah, it's the oh, best of times. It was the worst yeah, of times, yeah. right? It's so true. So we know uh, from recent research that memories are reconstructed every time we think about our past and every time we tell the story of our past, mm-hmm. okay? So we need to make sure that the story we keep telling is certainly accurate, but we see the, the, the silver lining. Mm. Um, so I, real quick, want to just share a closing story. Please. I just met with a senior in high school from here in Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Krista Campbell. She's adorable. She's, um, is that okay to say? I'm, yeah. She's, she could be my daughter. Yeah. But um, she is a soft-spoken but very energetic person. Uh, in fact, when I began to interview her on what she had done during the quarantine, she said, Dr. Elmer, I'm very active. I'm a doer. I can't stand it when I just sit around the house all day. And that's what she had to do. Yeah. You know, during the quarantine. It was we, a challenge. Yeah. yeah. For a while, our parents didn't even let us go out, right? Mm-hmm. So she said, I was really struggling. And her mom said, Krista, I'm seeing your countenance just, you're just down all the time. But she had an epiphany one day. She heard about the hospital that was near her house, the very hospital that she was born in as a baby. Oh, wow. And she heard that during the quarantine and during all the COVID-19 patients coming in there, they, uh, the healthcare workers were so inundated with work to do, they didn't stop for meals. 
Oh, wow. And bless their hearts. That makes sense. You know, you're just working at yeah, something. They're trying very, to, if the decision is between eating a meal and saving a life, that's a pretty easy decision. So yeah. they were almost starving. And she said it was really bad. It was on the news. And she thought, I am going to figure this out. So she called a friend that she knew had done something on a whole other part of town. She found out what she did. Listen to what Krista did. She began to organize other teenagers, other students, and she put together a food program that she would personally take in and just set down meals next to workers. I'm getting teary now. So, who were in these uh, places where they're caring for these infected people that nobody else could see. And she just, she'd got this mask on and this covering and all the workers have coverings. She slips in a meal so they can eat some carrots or a sandwich or something. And then she started, get this, going to restaurants and saying, wouldn't you like to donate food that you couldn't use? So she got this all rounded up. So she did it until the numbers started dropping in Gwinnett County, where she lived. She goes to Collins Hill High School. And, um, and so she stopped for a while because she thought, well, great, we, we beat it. But then she said the hospital called her and said, we need you again. We need you again because the numbers started going. She got it back going again. I thought, oh, Krista, you're a hero at 17 years old. Yeah. I love this. I love this. So the narrative she's going to tell is, I had the greatest year of my life. Yeah. You know, during that horrible, horrible I learned horrible something time. about myself. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the kind of narrative I feel like these kids can develop, right? It's all about the style of leadership. It's the tour guide who's going along with them and saying, yes. hey, there's rapids coming up yeah. ahead, but grab that paddle. You've <laughs> got right. it in you yeah. to get around this thing. Yeah. And yeah. we just need more, I think, adults who are leading this way, yeah. uh, helping them find a positive narrative through all yeah. of this, put things in the right bucket and all the other advice that you gave us. Thanks so much, Tim, for leading us through this. I know these are challenging times for everybody listening. What we have to remember is that the the young people that we're leading, whether it's our kids in our home or the uh, students in our school or whatever other context, they're looking at us wondering how we're going to handle this situation, and it's how we choose to lead them through this that's going to make all the difference. Well, um, thank you guys so much for listening. If uh, We talked at, at number five particularly uh, about finding tools to help them uh, transform this experience uh, in really healthy ways. Uh, we have one of those tools that we feel like is, it's actually helped uh, thousands, in fact, millions of students over the last several years since we started it. It's called Habitudes. Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And one of our courses, Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning, is actually built to develop just these kinds of skills where students learn to manage themselves, where they learn to be others-oriented, where they learn to sacrifice and serve, and all of the things that we know can really help them get through a season like this. If you'd like to find out more about it, in fact, even see a a sample of it for free, head on over to growingleaders.com, click on Habitudes, and you'll find out more information there about it. We'd love to chat with you about how it might look in your school or in your home or in whatever context you're in. Uh, So that's a great place to go. As always, if you would rate this podcast that gets the word out about what we're doing here, or even consider just sharing it with a friend, pass it along. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, As always, if you want to connect with us online, social media is a great way to do that. We're at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore everywhere you are. And lastly, if you've got ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, conversations you'd like for us to have, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Tim, thanks so much for leading us in on this conversation about resilience. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.